reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And you'll find that on page 1226 in the Church Bible. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know, uh, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for each one of us. Thank you that we can call you Dad. Pray this morning that you will open our hearts to your love. Help us to know what that really means today. Amen. So, this week, I have been wrestling with some quite difficult questions. Sometimes you know what you want to achieve, but how to do it is the tricky thing, isn't it? For example, have you ever tried to measure something difficult? Have you? Perhaps it was a tree that was too big to get your arms around, or maybe something too long for your tape measure, or maybe it was like a baby or a puppy, too wriggly to weigh. Tell your neighbor about the most difficult thing you've measured. Have a go. Think of something. There's lots of hand-waving going on, lots of actions. I'd love to hear about some of these things. Shout out, what things have we measured that have been tricky? Ah, yes, I bet you were wriggly. Were you wriggly? Yes. Anything else? Curtains. Yes, they can be huge, can't they? Always too long. Yes. Anything else? Curtains and babies. Rooms. Rooms. I had a lot of problem with my dog. When, a dog. when a dog is a puppy, didn't want to stand on the scales, that kind of thing. One of my favorite books, I'm going to share with you my theological inspiration. One of my favorite books is this. And in this book, Little Nut Brown Hair wrestles as he tries to explain how much he loves big nut-brown hair. Because he finds love 
is a very difficult thing to measure. It feels so big inside of you, and yet how to convey it is really a problem. Does he love him as much, as wide as his little arms will stretch? Does he? Or maybe he loves him to the tip of his toes. Or as high as he can reach? No. He loves him more than that. Perhaps he loves him as high as he can hop. Or maybe as far away as he has ever been, down the river and beyond the stream. He settles on the greatest measure he can possibly think of all the way to the moon. It's a charming exploration for children of something that feels so big that they can't find words for it. But children are not alone in struggling how to capture the scale of their love. The American poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a sonnet about that very thing. You may know it. She says, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. For the ends of being ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need. I love thee by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Love is crucial to our lives. And from love of family and friends, to romantic love, from love of nation to love of self, we are a people who cannot live without it. Our music and our art and literature explore it, and our souls yearn for it. And yet, putting it into words is always a challenge. This morning, we will continue our exploration of what the Bible tells us about love and about the fatherhood of God. And we'll consider what that means in our everyday life. Last week, we listened to Jean Vanier, who helped us think about loving the outcast 
and the marginalized. It was a beautiful but rather challenging interview, I thought. In living in community with people with severe difficulties, he found, over 50 years, the best way to express God's love was in serving his neighbor. And what a joy-filled community that produced. His appreciation of God's love for him and his love for God in return overflows into love of people that the world finds difficult to love. Those who are not necessarily like us in one way or another. Today, Tom read for us from the first epistle of John. It's another outburst of wonder at God's love for us from the apostle in one of his letters to the early church. It's an enormously encouraging, uplifting letter which emphasizes the love and the joy that belongs to God's family. It's not a begrudging kind of love, one born out of duty or expectation. God lavishes expressions of his love on us with undeserved and yet marvelous generosity to the point that he even calls us his children. The message puts it like this. Look what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are called children of God. That's who we really are. Sometimes we struggle to believe that that can be true. Could God really love us as much as that to make us his own children? We know, perhaps, we don't deserve it because we know only too well our own failures, our own mistakes, don't we? But the most wonderful thing is that God knows them too. He knows us intimately, perhaps better than we know ourselves. He knows us and he loves us. The Bible tells us that nothing can celebrate, separate us from that love. In Romans 8, it says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or are hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither powers of hell can separate us from God's love, not even. No power in the sky above the, or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We discover the extent of that marvelous, generous love when we consider Jesus. 
who is the expression of it to us. Now, that's not because we've earned it. It just is. It's not dependent on our circumstances in life. God loves us through comfort and through pain, in happy times and in sad, in times of want and in times of plenty. His love is constant. There is nothing we can do to make him love us more. And nothing we can do to make him love us less. God is love. Think of the newest baby that you know. A new baby doesn't have to do anything for its parents to love it. It simply needs to be. Even though it's often loud, smelly, inconvenient, sometimes deprives its parents of sleep and restricts their life in many, many ways, a new baby is loved because it is. God calls us his children. It's not just a label, it's who we are. Now, I'm a parent, and I know that my children have unique access to my heart. Unreasonable access, actually. I love them even when it's inconvenient. I love them when they're with me and when they're far away. I love them when they're charming and even when I don't like their behavior very much. I love them if they're to ignore me and hurt my feelings in some way, and I love them just the same when they show love to me, too. I love them, and I long for good things for them. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. He loves us to such an extent that even before we took any notice of him at all, he sent his son Jesus to live amongst us, to be rejected and die a cruel death upon the cross for our sakes, and to be raised to eternal life, so that we could be restored into good relationship with him. He held nothing back. He gave up the most precious thing he had for us, to call us his own children and make us what the Bible calls co-heirs with Christ. John, in his letter, reminds us of this parent-child relationship. The relationship suggested is one of gentleness, of love and intimacy. Now, I'm aware that that might not describe your earthly dad. Human fathers, sadly, are far from perfect, and there is a risk that this word picture doesn't help you but we need to remember God is most certainly not human. He doesn't suffer from the same frailties that all human fathers do. In Jesus' teaching, he is presented as one who loves and cares for his children. Moreover, he wants to be in conversation with us 
Just think how lovely it is to catch up with your own children, to hear what they're up to, hear their hopes and fears for life are. We don't need to have a purpose for such chatting with our children, do we? It's simply good to hear their voice and be involved with their lives. Equally, broken relationships with our children are so painful. And our Heavenly Father understands that as he waits patiently for his wayward children to turn back to him. He waits, longing to hear your voice call his name. He longs to bring healing and forgiveness, to restore relationships and to make them whole again. John goes on to comment on the family likeness that we bear um, as children of our Heavenly Father. One of the captivating things about our children is that they look like us. And they often behave like us too, which in my case is not always a terribly good thing. How often have you heard it said, oh, he's so like his dad? Or perhaps you hear somebody accused of being a chip off the old block. Much to their annoyance, actually, my own children bear a very strong family resemblance to one another and to their parents. As some of you here know to your cost, they get confused sometimes. Wonderfully, the longer and closer we walk with God, the more like him we become. Him being our heavenly father. Surely we all aspire to be found out reflecting our heavenly father, revealing that family likeness. Now we don't have to achieve this miracle on our own. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives who lives in all believers. Do you sometimes see the family likeness growing in your neighbor? Do you see them behaving like Jesus? Do you ever encourage them by telling them so? It's a good thing to do, perhaps not terribly British, but it is a good thing to encourage one another because we rarely see it in ourselves. But it is so good to affirm one another in being like our Heavenly Father. John suggests that it's precisely because we're more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world that the world doesn't always appreciate us because they didn't accept Jesus either. However, when Jesus comes again, we'll see him as he really is and we will become completely like him. The book of Romans again reminds us that our Lord will come again, that he didn't come to condemn us, but rather to bring us into eternal life. That's our future hope. It's for one happy day to come. But what does all this mean for us here and now? What difference should the magnitude, the reality of this love make for us in our day-to-day lives? How do we live like members 
of Jesus' family, I wonder. Verse 3 concludes, We who have this hope in Jesus should make every effort to live in a way that reflects our relationship with him now. I wonder what that looks like for you. Jean Vanier found his appreciation of his heavenly father's love for him gave him the capacity to love others in Jesus' name, even people that were not easy to love. What about us? What do we do with the love that we find in Jesus? Do we keep it to ourselves and make our own church family a nice place to be? Or do we welcome others in Jesus' name, even when they're perhaps not like us in some way? Do we go out of our way to share God's love for us with the people we meet in our street, at our place of work, at school, or, or even, this is a tricky one, in our own family? You might say, oh, oh Esther, that's not really me. I, I couldn't talk to people about church and God. But you know, when there's good news, people, even people who are really reserved, like to share it. When there's a new baby around, people, and I'm sorry to say this, but especially grandparents, they become completely besotted with the new baby. In seconds, they'll whip out their phone or delve into their handbag to produce a photo of a new family member and show just how lovely they are. It's universal and it's lovely to celebrate. New love and new life is so compelling, people want to talk about the new relationship they've found. They want to tell the good news and people like to hear it, even if they're never gonna meet the new baby or the new fiance themselves. People want to know good news. Love changes people's behavior. I wonder if you remember that your favorite pop stars from your youth. Do you remember how you used to talk endlessly about what they were doing and sing their songs and even dress like them? There are some terrible photographs out there. Remember the Bay City Rollers with those awful trousers and haircuts, mods and rockers? All because of how we felt about them. I wonder what this city would look like if we let our love, our enthusiasm for our relationship with Jesus change our behavior in the same way. So, if you'll permit me, I'm going to end by asking you a few personal questions. I wonder, are you in love with Jesus? Do you really know how much he loves you? A measure of our love for him is often seen in how we love our neighbors. God's fatherly love is for us all, however we feel about ourselves. 
It is the best news out. Far better even than a new grandchild. And it's really something to shout about. Jean Vanier did not find that words were even necessary or useful at times as an expression of this love. But to live in a spirit of generosity and peaceful joy that comes from and reflects our Heavenly Father. That is what speaks volumes to those around us. We, as a church family, don't want to worship behind closed doors because this is not an exclusive family. We don't only accept perfect people, thankfully, otherwise I wouldn't be here. We want to fling wide our doors and to go out from this place of safety and bring people in to introduce them to their loving Heavenly Father. We mustn't wait for them to think of coming to us. It's the only reasonable response to such amazing good news. If you have never really known that love for yourself, please don't leave today without catching someone to find out more. Why not ask the person sitting next to you whether you've never met them before or whether you've known them for years, ask them to talk about their relationship with their Heavenly Father. I'm sure they'd love to. Whoever you are, and whatever your past, God loves you and wants to be part of your future. We'd be delighted to talk with you over coffee and to help you discover more of that marvellous fatherly love that God has for all people. And if you do know that that is true, it's good to be reminded that you hold a treasure so precious that it almost defies explanation. It's not surprising that like little nut-brown hair, we sometimes find it hard to explain the extent of our love because God's love is extraordinary, even bigger than to the moon and back. As a family, let's ask God to grow love like that in all of us, that we might live lives that speak eloquently of his love to those around us with or without words and make them long to get to know their Heavenly Father better too. Amen.